Episode 79 of the Pilot to Pilot podcast takes off now. Hi, my name's Isaac. I am a pilot for the E3 AWACS stationed in Oklahoma City and Tinker Air Force Base uh, for the United States Air Force. Today's episode is brought to you by AOPA's Pilot Protection Services. As disciplined and meticulous pilots, we are always striving to achieve that perfect flight from engine startup to shutdown. However, even the most experienced pilot can get distracted by a passenger or have a momentary bout of information overload. AOPA's Pilot Protection Services knows that your pilot and medical certificates mean everything to you. And that's why their trusted legal services plan attorneys and medical certification specialists are there to help protect you when things don't go as planned. It's available only to AOPA members and over 64,000 members already participate. So go check them out before your next flight at aopa.org backslash PPS. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. This episode features AWACS pilot Isaac Cornell. If you're interested in the military route, then this is the episode for you. Isaac goes into some good detail about what his journey was like, some disappointments, some joys, what it's like to be deployed, what it's like to fly in the AWACS program. So this is a great episode, one that I highly recommend everyone listen to and share, especially if you're interested in the military. He drops some good insights here. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check out our website, Pilot the Pilot hq.com where you can find out all of the necessary links if you want to leave a review donate on patreon or just visit our website check it out there aviation i don't want to keep you any longer this is a great episode share it with all your friends like i said without any further ado here's isaac cornell isaac what's going on man welcome to the pilot the pilot podcast hey justin thanks for having me uh big fan of the podcast think you're doing a great job and uh, truly honored to be asked to speak and uh, be interviewed. Hopefully, I can bring some value to your let's hope so to your uh, listeners. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, so it's kind of funny because obviously, or not obviously, they don't know, but my wife and your fiance go to the same medical school, and we met up through them. And it's just kind of funny how we're both pilots and both in aviation. So it's almost like a match made, and it was meant to be. Yeah, it was uh, ironic. She called me the first time she had like heard about you and. Uh, I was like, you'll never guess this, but someone in my class, I just made friends. Her husband's a pilot. (laughs) Wow. It is a pretty small world. Very small world. Well, cool, man. Let's go ahead and get started. First thing I ask everyone is why aviation? What was the initial reason that you got into aviation? Uh, Yeah. So I feel like I kind of got into aviation, a sort of unconventional path. uh, Most people, um, was never really interested in being a pilot even uh, until my junior year of college. So I, I went to school on a ROTC scholarship just to pay for school, um, but really had the intention of being a large animal vet uh, since I was a little kid, like all the way up to that point. Um, and then halfway through school, sort of realized that while I s- did and still do have a pretty big love for animals, uh, veterinary sciences was maybe not my calling necessarily. Uh, I think I enjoy the idea of owning animals more than taking care of someone else's. Uh, so I sort of was then at a crossroads of like, I'm not, I don't know what I want to do with my life now. Um, and actually had a heart to heart with my grandma and she was just sort of said, Oh, I think you'll figure it out, but I think I'll see you flying planes in 10 years. And that was the first time it even just like, that really became an option. Even in being Air Force ROTC, I just never really had considered the pilot route. Um, and since then, I, I was like, wow, I guess maybe that is something I want to do. And it seemed cooler and cooler the more I thought about it. Um, so going into my junior year, that was what I wanted to do. Told all my ROTC instructors that. Uh, and then got my heart broken by not getting a pilot slot no. right away. <laughs> it's like, cool, so, I have this dream. And then they're like, oh yeah, cool, man. But no, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was really, and it really threw me because I was getting again, like back to ground zero. Like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? Um, and almost a year to the day after I was told I was not going to be a pilot, I was assigned several other jobs in the Air Force and just through either people... Um, not passing their medical clearances or just more slots opening up as uh, the year went on. Yeah, I was given a pilot slot. 
Oh, cool. So right at the end of my senior year. Uh, and that was, it was like one of the best days of my life. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, like I would never Let's thought this go. would happen. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so the, sort of the rest is history then. Only have ever flown with the military. Um, but that is how I sort of got into it. And, and what was the, uh, what was the selection day. process for becoming a pilot in the military? Like kind of what, what kind of test did you have to take? Cause I'm, so I'm assuming it's not just you like fill out a piece of paper saying I want to be a pilot. Like you actually have to have some qualifications done to become one, right? Yeah. So we had to take a, um, it's called the ASVAB. Yeah. What's, do you know the, what that stands for? I have no idea what it stands for. I'm not sure what it stands <laughs> for either. Uh, but it's just a test that like sort of um, tests all like sort of just different realms of different career fields and then scores you. Um, but there is a um, there's like a aviation section, a navigation section, and your scores in that somewhat are taken into effect. But also you have to take the it's called the TBAS. And it was a, it's almost like a hand eye uh, test, but also just it, it. I guess it tests how how you should you should think to be it, that should be a good correlation of how well of an aviator you are. I have no idea what the correlation is like. You, it's just you sit at a computer, uh, and it does have like rudder rudder pedals, and you're like trying to click on things, and it's making noises, and you're. It's multi-testing how well you can multitask and stuff, um, but it was hard. It was yeah. uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't do that great on it. <laughs> Sweat <and> bullets. <laughs> it it worked out. So yeah, yeah. that's really cool. Um, is this something you study for, or is this something you're just like, ah, oh, I'm gonna go take the test? Here we go. So the written portion of it, uh, you can study for, which we all did. Um, the T bass portion of it, however, is there. I don't. Maybe there's a way. I didn't know a way to study for it though. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how you'd study for it. Maybe get a computer and just like work yeah, in your reflexes. Uh, yeah. Like uh, honestly, some a video game would like be if, if you were good at video games and like that's also awesome. typing something that would be similar <laughs> to what same it's time? like. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. So see video games do come. You can video yeah. games are helpful, right? If you play battlefield Perhaps. your whole life, like it's fine. No big deal. <laughs> but yeah. So, uh, all right. So you said that you initially didn't get assigned to be a pilot and you said when you did get assigned, that was kind of like the best day of your life. What was the day when you were like told you can't be a pilot or not? You can't, but you're not going to be selected to be a pilot. Oh, wow. Good question. Uh, it, it sucked. It yeah. really sucked because sort of, like I said, this was my new plan and I was 21 years old. Like this is it. I know what I'm going to do. And really you couldn't really see anything else. Like that right. was, I pretty much put all my eggs in that basket. <laughs> um, I knew I had to, uh, serve, uh, because of the scholarship I had. So I knew I was going into the air force, but really pot was the only thing I could see myself wanting to do. Um, and I actually, I got some good advice. My debt commander, the like head of the ROTC program, he brought me into his office. Like, Hey, I know you, this is something you wanted. Uh, could tell you're obviously very disappointed when I told you. Um, but I go by this 24 hour rule. So you have good news or bad news. You have 24 hours to either sulk or be mad or right. like celebrate. And then you just got to get back at it and, because really, that's all you can do. There's nothing you can do to change it, right? Uh, like, and that is some of the best advice I have gotten uh, in my whole life, and I still abide by that and have given that advice to other people <laughs> regularly. That's uh, easier said than done, though. Like, to it be is. Like, hey, it's much easier said yeah, than done. It's much easier to give that advice yeah, than yeah, to actually, actually follow it. it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like your dreams have just been crushed, but hey, man, get over it. Like, yeah. 24 hours, you'll be all right. Like, yeah. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Um, and he actually even, he, I saw him the next day, and he was like, hey, Cornell, how you doing? I'm like, sir, I still got eight hours. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me in eight hours, man. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, but I think it's something to definitely strive for in any high or low, just yeah. because it... Um, there's really nothing else you can do once something has happened already. So yeah, for sure. And then what was kind of the next step? Like I'm guessing that has happened to other people before that became pilots. So like, is there a path to get back into the cockpit or is it just like you said, you have to wait for someone to fail. You have to wait for someone to kind of drop out of the program. Yeah. So I actually started once I didn't get that my 24 hours were up. I sort of started asking around for other options and going to a, getting a, uh, acceptance to a guard or reserve slot, what like unit was an option. 
uh, and something I looked into pretty heavily and was starting that process and then had found out, then found out I got an active duty slot. So it pretty much stopped. Um, looking back, it is something that perhaps I wish I would have like continued to pursue because the guard and reserves not it's it's the hidden gem of the military. I think it seems like such a good gig. If you can get, I think the it's very competitive to get in. I don't think I know it's very competitive to get in. Um, but it just gives you so many more options because you can still be full time. Um, or you can be just part time fly for them and then fly for someone else or do a completely different job on the side. Um, and like real estate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Grant Cardone's number two man, like Ryan Seco. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is in something that is still op- obviously a option in the future for me, but right now active duty for not much you can do, still. right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, which is, which is fine. Uh, but just some advice I would give to people who are considering their options, especially it for in the aviation field, like those guard and reserve, uh, units are a Great, great way, the way to, to go. go. Yeah. One of the great ways to go. Yeah. When you, so you signed up for ROTC to pay for your school. What were you looking at for commitment wise just through ROTC without being a pilot versus the actual time of being a pilot? So it's a four year commitment with that ROTC scholarship, just a uh, normal job. Uh, with the pilot commitment, then it's a 10 year commitment. So it's a significantly. So that's six longer, years on. Yeah. Yeah. Significantly the price longer. that they pay for you to train is unbelievable. It, yeah. 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 And it's, but it, I mean, that's a cool, like fun fact. They say when you're done with like military pilot training, you're worth over a million dollars to the U S <laughs> government. So but what does that get you? after you're done? <laughs> Can you cash it in? <laughs> uh, not cash in, but still yeah. you're learning a great yeah. skill and can go do something that is, um, not a lot of other people can. Right. So. No, definitely not. I mean, you're crazy young flying a, a huge jet, yeah. which a lot of people, and I'm sure my buddy flew in the Navy and his first multi-engine plane he ever flew was a King Air. And my first multi-engine I flew ever, ever flew was like a tiny little Seneca and not nearly as powerful as what a King Air was. So just the differences in the training and the, the equipment you get to fly is just crazy. Like it's wild. Like I'm sure when you went into your plane that you're flying now, you probably had like minimal amount of time. I can't imagine you had more than what, like 200 hours or 200 less. 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 Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you're flying a heavy jet with like 180 hours. It's yeah. just like crazy. It is. And it is even insane. Just like going from a little DA 20 that you, they start you in yeah. after 25 hours to the T six, which is the next one you go to. That's it's just crazy. a, for someone who had never even touched the controls of an airplane before, uh, January of 2017 to now have flown four different planes, all like varying sizes and just like you're really thrown into the fire, but uh, it's something that they have nailed that process down pretty well. And looking at it when you start, you you think, no way am I going to do this at the end. And <laughs> like we're going to do what? Yeah, yeah they, but they, they get you through. What was your, uh, so let's talk about that. What was your training like? So talk about seeing the diamond for the first time. And obviously you're probably like, dang, this plane's pretty sweet. Like it's the first airplane you're really going to get the fly. So anyone's first airplane is pretty cool. Yeah, it was, that is, I will never forget that. Yeah. And even if it's so little looking back and so slow, <laughs> so uh, slow, <laughs> but it was it's like a glider with a yeah. mini, mini engine on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But at the time, like it was just blew my mind just yeah. rolling down the runway for the first time. Yeah. You feel like your face is getting peeled back by <laughs> how fast you're going. And I can't remember how fast it is, but it's, it's, you're so slow. Yeah. <laughs> it's so slow. So slow. Uh, but that's the fastest that you've pretty much ever gone before yeah. that though. So it feels fast. Yeah. It's like when you're in a 172, which would be the equivalent of a D diamond and maybe not the equivalent, maybe a little faster, but like you put the throttle forward, you have your feet stomped on the brakes doing like a short field takeoff and you feel like your, your back go back a little bit. You're like, man, <laughs> we're going so fast. So it's like, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And this comparison to what you fly now, it's like no difference, but your first one always has a special place in your heart. Oh, so, for sure. So yeah. For what sure. was, uh, so you said you had it for 25 hours. What kind of training did you do in the diamond? Uh, that was all, uh, all VFR flying and just like very uh, much like flight basics intro to flight, teaching you just the very dynamics of like aerodynamics of a wing, um, 
to just like what a touch and go is right uh to what like an overhead pattern looks like um what the difference between vfr flying to ifr flying we obviously didn't do any ifr but what that is what those qualifications are um and mostly just getting down the feel of what an airplane is and getting you ready for that next step to right. the t6 so they actually even moved it around i don't know so like we sat in the right seat so that the throttle was on, in, on the, the left on our left hand side so it'd be equivalent to the t6 okay um and i think they do some other i don't know what the civilian version of it looks like i think they do some other small modifications to just make it feel more like feel a t6. more like what it will feel like in the t6 they try yeah. to prepare you yeah. even though there's no way to <laughs> actually prepare you yeah. but it, in some ways yeah. so did you solo in the diamond i did uh, I did. And that is also something, I mean, you'll never forget your first flight, your first solo. Um, I'll never forget that either. And it was, were you nervous? I was really nervous, especially because I had gone the day before to solo and just got up to this auxiliary field that we were going to and just couldn't land it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I was so nervous the whole day before that, uh, first flight and I just like got in there, took off fine, flew up there fine and then just went to do land and we were just up there for an hour, just smashing off the pavement. He's like, uh, you sure <laughs> you don't want to be a vet right now? <laughs> yeah. And my instructor's like, man, I flew with you two days ago and you were perfectly fine. I would have sold you then. What's going on? It's like, I don't know. I, I just let me give one more try. And it was one more try for 20 minutes still fine. Oh, yeah, one more. Go He's back. like, dude, no, you're, you're done, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone um, has those flights. I feel like that's a normal thing to have. I don't know if it's like pre solo jitters or like it's actually coming up, but it's like that happens to everyone. Everyone, I feel not everyone, but most people have that, that moment where you had where it's like right before you solo or right before you're going to cross country. It's like you just can't land the plane or can't yeah. fly the plane. It's like you have the jitters. I don't know what it is, but just something isn't clicking in your brain. And it's just, it's one of the worst feelings ever. Cause you must be like, you're, you can't even be a pilot. It's like, if I can't fly by myself, how am I going to do this? Like, it's like, this is, there's no way I can get over this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, did you finally get one good landing in or was it always just so like, that, that first day? No, he, yeah. he, he was like, all right, man, just, we're going back. We're going <laughs> to talk about it. And you'll try again tomorrow. <laughs> and it's just like such a defeated look because all your friends know you were going out there to solo. Like other guys were in the pattern who were like stopping to get instructors to get out to solo. And then you get back to the flight room and you're just like, no, nah, they're like, yeah. oh, <laughs> it's cool, man. Next time. Yeah. yeah. But then the next day, I mean, I just went back. I chair flew, um, sort of cleared my head and came back the next day and was nailed it on the first time. He's like, all right, you're good to go. Got He's out. like, we got a good one. I need to get <laughs> out. Go. <laughs> yeah. What is, um, did you do three solo? Did you do three solo takeoff and landings or what's the military training for that? Uh, so it's just, I don't even know if there was a requirement. I think I did. I did three or four, just stayed in the pattern, just went around, uh, three or four. Yeah. I can't remember. I don't think there was a requirement in the syllabus to do it. It was just a, it was a requirement to solo. But as long as you took off and landed again yeah. safely, at least you're good. Once, you soloed. Good. Yeah. yeah. How many hours did you have when you soloed? Do you remember by any chance or estimate? Uh, I would probably say like 20. 20. Okay. Yeah. And then you're in the diamond for 25. So you started Texan T6 or T6 flying with 25 hours yeah. or around there. Yeah. All right. So talk about the the thought process of like preparing yourself for T6 and the power you're about to get into and just like how do you even prepare yourself for that? So you are or at least I was, and I feel like most people going with the limit experience similar to myself, you're just so naive. It does like, it doesn't phase you. It's just another airplane you see flying around your base every day. Um, you're in about a month of academics before you go, okay. uh, to the jet, which you do a couple Sims. Okay. Um, but really there was, I mean, I was just so naive. I was, I had, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> what was the, what was the ground training? Like, was it just like, um, overall systems and just kind of talking you through what could go wrong and what you do and stuff like that. Yeah. A lot of that, a lot of it was, uh, like the parachute and like AFE training. So the life support, how the, the oxygen systems, how to use the parachute, what to do if you have to eject. Um, and that was all covered in the beginning, which was kind of, weird to me at the time. It's like, wow, this is scary. They're really <laughs> teaching us right away die. what to do. <laughs> yeah. um, 
but yeah, and then I, they had a couple sims. So I think it was mostly it was a couple sims just to show you, kind of give you a feel. But again, the T6 sims weren't great for showing you what it was going to actually be like. <laughs> uh, and then uh, just to go start going over the systems and the emergencies that could happen. So you have your ground done. You have all that knowledge now. You know how to fly T6 in theory. You yeah. sit in the T6. What's going on? Like, you, do you think you know what you're doing? Like, are you like trying to start the plane up, like doing, just going at it? Or are you sat down and you're like, what the heck? So they really emphasized showing up prepared for that first sortie. Um, so in, to them, that meant like knowing from if you can go through engine start and not look like a complete fool, like you have won your first flight. <laughs> and then the instructor is there to get you through the rest of it. Um, so that was a, what I was really focused on. And from what I can remember, I was just, I just wanted to nail that, you know, like I sort of had a feeling that it was going to be chaos to me, like <laughs> actually flying it. Um, but if I could prove, like if I could control the things that I could control and run through it on the ground, cause that's the stuff you can practice in the sim, right? right. The, all the pre-start stuff and starting engines. That's the stuff, you know, like you can control yes. that. Yeah. yeah. It's relatively so, similar. Yeah. So I remember myself and most of my classmates really were just focusing on that. And then good. the air would have its way with us. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Hold on. Yeah. Did they fly for most of the first flight or were they like, nope, we got limited time. Like you're going after it. Uh, I remember I flew more than I was expecting, but they definitely, it was more of like a, all right, go ahead and try. Okay. It's my, yeah. uh, my plane, my plane. <laughs> yeah. Um, just the, the P factor of the propeller was just crazy. Just the amount of rudder you needed didn't even compare to what, a diamond. the diamond. Uh, and rudder was one of the most challenging things that plane for most of the time. It's just ha- finessing that rudder and trimming it out and um, trim is your best friend. Yeah, it is. And then, but sometimes you end up, you find yourself, you're just flying sideways because you completely forgot about the rudder. <laughs> well, your <laughs> you legs are just too tired. It's like doing <laughs> leg day. It's like doing squats all day. And I said, like, screw it. We're going sideways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what all, um, did you do your instrument training in that? Like, did you do all the rest of your training in the T6? So I did, uh, the first half of pilot training was in the T6. And then uh, we did the track and I tracked the T38 uh, route. So we pretty much did everything again, but in a faster, more advanced jet. But yeah, we got instrument training. We had a whole instrument phase, instrument check ride uh, in the T6 and the 38 both. What was your instrument training like? Was it pretty easy for you or was it pretty tough? Uh, the In the T6, it was so hard because it was... We're, we went from doing loops and be, having to be able to see the ground for most of the flight. And even if, if you didn't, if you could just get above the clouds, like the instructor flew the whole thing to all of a sudden being like, everything's on you. And now everything is fair game to uh, be graded on both instruments. And if we get above the clouds, we'll still do some loops and stuff. So it's just, it was so much more knowledge in such a world that I had yet to have been exposed to the, uh, just all the rules and regulations, uh, the knowledge portion of it was just so much larger than just having to know the systems and what G to pull to, you know? (laughs) Um, So that was definitely a challenge. Once you got that down though, I feel like the, the flying became easier because you're not rolling and banking so much. It was was a lot smoother. Um, It was almost hard to remember to stay smooth going back and forth from, Ripping G's to be like, all right, we're on an instrument flight now. Yeah. Keep it smooth. 30 <laughs> degrees of bang. Yeah, you got like, a 90 <laughs> degree bank in. Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they would they would put you underneath the hood for in both the 38 and the T6 yeah. for in so you'd sit in the back seat for most of the, the instrument flights. Um, and you would cl- quickly remember that you were only supposed to be 30 degrees of bank because you <laughs> just spatial D yourself so easily underneath. You just there. start passing out. Like, yeah. you good? I think you good. <laughs> my plane <laughs> yeah what was your favorite kind of approaches that you fly because i know you don't normally you don't fly really i mean i guess we talked about earlier you do fly little gps approaches but you're mainly flying vors and uh, do you fly less is that something that you would fly often uh, so now like in the awacs now we will fly vors localized and ILSs. Yeah. we actually don't have a gps approach capability that's crazy um in the t6 we did shoot gps approaches uh but i honestly 
I just remember them kind of just being like VORs. Yeah. I haven't shot one in a very long time. So they're kind so of. So if someone cleared you for a GPS approach, like in a 172, you'd be like, uh, yeah, what the unable. heck am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny because they're the easiest things to do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's no different than really just flying an ILS. So it's just funny. But yeah, it's like if I could choose any approach, it'd be an LPV RNAV approach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like if you could choose any approach, it's like a, a VOR, VOR DME arc or something like that where yeah, you feel more just comfortable. Yeah, plain old vectors to the ILS. Like that's our, that's the in AWACS, that's the bread and butter for sure. Or just a visual. Yeah, what does yeah. visually land? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you are T6, T38, and now the E3, right? Correct. So is that like a standard path to go down, or do you obviously had to, I know like airlines you bid in the military world is probably more about like how well you perform based yeah, on what you get? Exactly. So okay. the after T6s, you tracked either the T1 or the T38. So the T1 is the, it's sort of looks like a the private jet, just like two seat, two seat pilot, and then a jump seat. And that's where most of the heavy guys go. Uh, the T38 is a fighter bomber track, which all the fighter, you have to fly to track fighter bombers, but you can fly anything in the inventory training on the 38. Um, so if you go to the T-38, you could, your future could be in any plane. Is it what could you're be, okay. yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and yes, it, it, to answer your question, it is based on performance in the class. So through, I loved flying the T-38. It was the most fun thing to fly. Probably the most fun thing I'll ever fly. Uh, but I struggled every day. Really? It. Yeah, <laughs> it was. I mean, I I can hang my hat on that I worked harder than anybody in that class, but just... Some people had it and some people didn't, and I just did not have it. Every day was a battle. Every day was a fight. Uh, so I, I love my time there. We were treated more like adults, and the plane was just freaking crazy. It looks like a fighter jet, so yeah. you can show all your friends, like, yeah, that's what I'm flying right now. <laughs> Felt like, top, like Maverick from Top Gun. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but it was hard. It was, it was a hard training program, a lot of formation, uh, which is wh where I struggled, which is just a fighter pilots bread and butter. So yeah, that is not a, obviously, obviously a good option to put someone in. If you're not good at formation, yeah. <laughs> imagine going to air show and not being good at formation. Yeah, it would just, it would look bad on everybody yeah. and overall unsafe probably. So, yeah. <laughs> um, a, recently right around, right before I started to, uh, drop, which is like our assignment night, mm -hmm. uh, in the air force, they started assigning more, uh, heavy aircraft out of the T 38s again. And that is just a pilot shortage, which is just every felt everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if they have a grand plan of bringing 38 pilots back to teach them later. That is like the rumor on the street. Um, so we'll see, but that's not really, that's way above my pay. Right. Rate. But you're just there serving your time, doing yeah, what you're told to do. Exactly. Yeah. So they, when I dropped, they were dropping a, probably about one ISR platform, a drop out of 38s as well. So I got that one. Um, Again, kind of disappointing, but just that 24 hour rule. Uh, and I just sort of kept moving and it actually has turned out really great for me. And talking to some of my fighter pilot friends uh, who are flying Vipers and 22s now, like I would be so miserable. Like, really? If I had even made it that far, just the, I just know the amount that they're working, I would have to work twice as much just to try to stay afloat. Um, so it, it has worked out really well for me. I'd never experienced a crew airplane before and having a crew is awesome. Uh, helps the workload a little bit. It does help yeah. the workload a ton. Uh, and it is, has worked out well for my personal life as well, being yeah. in Oklahoma City. So that's good. It has really been a... Uh, it has overall turned into a really, really good thing. Um, <laughs> but a year ago, you were smack talking. <laughs> yeah. You're like, what the heck? Why do? Yeah. Why would you say that it's not the a more preferred airplane for someone to want to fly? Like, is it just not as sexy as flying an F twenty two or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's. Uh, I don't know how many of your listeners going to know what it looks like, but it's a seven oh seven, so Boeing seven oh seven, built in the seventies, and none of the cockpit has been updated at all. So you're Perfect. still flying. Uh, <laughs> steam gauges and there we have one uh little computer screen which is just like the gps but really the nav controls that yeah uh and we you can use it really but it uh is kind of like a mystery to me still like it's just so <laughs> it's so very archaic very yeah. archaic cockpit um 
and then it's got this massive dome on the top of it, which just like <laughs> most people just like, what is going on there? Is this a UFO or what? <laughs> what is happening? You're transporting the aliens <laughs> for the area 51. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so funny. definitely just a less sexy appeal. Um, and then it's just, it's a, it is a unique community to be a part of yeah. in the military. Uh, you're, you got a, a lot of enlisted aviators, which before like showing up, uh, to tinker, I had only one anyone had ever seen in a flight suit was an officer. So I was just very taken aback. Just yeah, like, like that, that was even a thing. <laughs> um, and then a lot of non pilot aviators, which again, you're not exposed to at pilot training. Um, cause the whole back end of the airplane are winged aviators, just right. not pilots. Huh. Okay. Um, so it's just, a, it's a, it's just a different community than I think you're ever really exposed to. Yeah. Uh, and it's a big crew. It's a full jet is, or full crew is 23 people. You can hold 40 people on it. So oh, training sorties are just a circus. Uh, cause you have, yeah, I have so many crew positions. What all are they doing back there? So they're doing the like mission of the AWACS, the ISR platform. So they're projecting a radar picture, uh, controlling, uh, any U S air assets, uh, that are in the theater that they're operating. Yeah. Um, they're controlling, uh, they do fights for, from what I understand it's, they don't really control the dog fight. They just sort of give the, uh, fighters like pimps to help them out and locate targets. Uh, okay. they're identifying ground targets. They're oh, cool. identifying threats. Um, so they're doing a lot, uh, really? like the capability to do a lot. Yeah. Uh, that's really another topic of what is really <laughs> happening right now. Yeah. That's a, that's a different, they have the ability, yeah. <laughs> which is probably a good thing that we're not talking more about that. Though, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Which you, yeah, I just got back from a deployment and it seemed like really slow, but, and it can be kind of frustrating as someone who's there. You're like, I wish there was something going on, but in the grand scheme of things, it's good <laughs> that things are slow. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so let's hope it just stays that way. Yeah. It'd be kind of rough to be like, yo, uh, F 22 to guy, you got like a, a missile coming at you. Like, good oh, luck. <laughs> yeah. 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 That is please win <laughs> a situation. I hope we are never in. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you do all these, like you said, these training sorties and a sortie is just essentially a training mission, right? Is that essentially what the word is? Uh, or can a sortie be anything? A sortie. We call it a sortie. Anything. I yeah. didn't realize sortie was not a, yeah. uh, I didn't know, what a, term. Oh, I didn't okay. know what a sortie was until when I was before I got my job, it just applied to a bunch of airlines and it has time for you to put in your sorties. And I was like, what the heck is a sortie? <laughs> it's like, if you're not in military, don't worry about it. It's like, good. <laughs> so I have no idea what, yeah, an actual I think it's just a flight. I, I don't, uh, I don't know. I just called everything a sortie. Maybe yeah. I'm doing it incorrectly. <laughs> that's something they taught at IFT. And I was just, really? I'm sure a, if they taught you that you're yeah. doing it right. Yeah. So um, I had no idea what a sortie was, but yeah, we apply it to everything just yeah. a, your flight for that day. So if you're doing a solo, that's your sortie. sortie. If you're going to go, do radar missions. It's a sortie. Yep. Okay. Yep. And they just start have a different code to designate it, but yeah. just like short term. It's, it's how many hours did you have once you went on the E3? Uh, when can, I got to the E3, I had probably like 130 that's crazy. hours, 140 hours. I had 130 hours and I still didn't even have my, my commercial license. <laughs> like I could, cause in a civilian way, you can't get your commercial license depending on what school you go to. I didn't mind all a different track. So there's two different flight schools. There's like a 141 style, which is like more uh, university and it's more kind of not necessarily faster paced, but it's more like rigorous and they have more training for you to do. And you can take your check ride for your commercial. I think at like 200 hours and it might differ where you go. But if you don't do it that way, if you just go to your local flight school, you can take your check ride with 250 hours. So you have to have 250 hours no matter uh, what to take your commercial yeah. license. So before I, I was still flying a Piper arrow with like 250 hours and you're out there flying a, a 707. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just it crazy. Is, it is. It's crazy. And they, like I said, the military training is they have figured out what works and they just pound it into because it is, I mean, it's rigorous. It's 12 yeah. hour days five days a week for just a year straight, no breaks. Uh, when you when you said about how other people get it faster than others or some people do better than others, was there a high fail rate in your classes? So we probably started with 25 people and I think we graduated with 17 or 18. Okay. Um, and we we lost a few due to medical reasons, just air sickness. Yeah. Uh, that always big deal. seems to get a few people. Yeah. We... Um, had guys just get pushed back to other classes, um, either for slow performance or for medical, other medical reasons. So they still graduated, but not maybe necessarily with us. And then we had, we picked up other people along gotcha. the way. 
Um, so yeah, we, I mean, whatever 18 out of 25 is, but lost around like six. Yeah. What, um, so like you said, when you say that they kind of didn't make it, they have the opportunity to go back most of the time and like retrain or is it like a, a one and done and it's like, sorry, dude. Yeah. Most of the time you are given a shot to redeem yourself. Yeah. Multiple times. Okay. That's um, good. Yeah, they're it, they're pretty. I mean, they're strict. They're not going to put anyone in a, like any you or anyone else in an unsafe uh, situation. But they're going to continue to give you yeah. chances. I, I can't remember exactly what it was like, but um, I know we had a we had a student wash back several classes just for, for performance yeah. reasons. But he he graduated. I think three classes behind us. Then, That's good. But so, still graduated. Yeah, it and, still goes to show that they'll they'll yeah. work with you. And because you think the military, it's like all right, well. If, you can't make it, then you can't make it. Like, see ya. But it's nice. That it's like, all right, you get another chance. You get another chance. Yeah. Like, eventually, you have to tell them no. But <laughs> right, right. But right. you already have so much money into them, so you have to keep giving them some chances, I guess, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, talk about some stories. So, I'm sure your training, you probably have like maybe one or two stories where you're kind of just like maybe bad flights or like what the heck flights or what like crappy moments that happened where like. You said you struggled formation. Like, did you almost knock out another, <laughs> knock out another plane? Or like, uh, I I never came that close to anything. Uh, most of my uh, sort of oh crap, uh, oh crap sorties and just like stuff that went wrong is you look back on it and you you can easily see where stuff going wrong and it came from a just being overloaded yeah. with stuff. So the one that like always comes back to me, which I sort of tell people just to explain my like T38 experience uh, in a bad sortie. I have, I have a good one too, which <laughs> I can, good. I can talk. Yeah. You got to redeem yourself too. <laughs> uh, but we were just coming back into the, into the pattern and I was, I was leading back a solo student. Mm-hmm. So he was so doing a formation solo ride. I had an instructor in the back Yeah, and I can't remember how the rest of the flight went, but if I'd gotten to this point, probably not great, <laughs> uh, but I'm leading, I'm leading, <laughs> leading him back and I turn into the into the VFR pattern and for whatever reason this one entry point always like eluded me so I was having to look off my GPS as well it was tough for me to find it on the ground and then I was looking I could hear on the radio other guys coming up uh outside down and so it was already like crowded I've already been like oh have a solo student <laughs> on my wing so I have to worry about too and uh I'm just like slowly descending and my instructors in the back like hey man pull up, pull up. And then I just like pull back a little and just probably even just give myself a little trim and like still like looking for this other airplane, which I know was there, which yeah. he's, I'm far more worried about him when <laughs> really, I mean, the ground is way bigger. A threat, <laughs> right. And I'm still slowly descending. Yeah. And then I look over at uh, my solo student or the soul, not my soul student, but my wingman. Right. He's, I'm sure the instructor's worried about him too. And he's like fighting to hang on because I'm weaving in and trying to find the VFR entry <laughs> port and look for this car. And, Hey man, the ground we're descending. And then he's like, all right, my craft. And he took it. And we had like descended 800 feet yeah. in a, I think it was probably like 2000 foot pattern altitude, which is like, I can't believe he gave me that much rope even. Yeah. Uh, and actually saying that now that seems ridiculous. There's no way it was that low. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe like 400 feet or something, yeah. which is still a big deal, but not as dangerous. No. Um, and just, I remember thinking, I just like, we landed. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I probably could have passed that ride if I just had not done that one stupid thing. Um, <laughs> and that's just sort of, it's just like, there's just so much in- information, especially in a solo, uh, single seat aircraft that you have to just constantly be uh, processing. Um, I mean, in, in any aircraft there is, right. uh, but when it's all on you, it quickly become, can become overwhelming. Yeah. You gotta, it's kind of like a workload management. You got to figure out what is the most important yeah. thing. And at that time, the most important thing is not descending into the ground <laughs> or, exactly. you know, it's like, you got to kind of outweigh your risks and figure out what you need to do to eventually, I mean, essentially survive because yeah. we go up and fly and it's always an, like, it's always something that can happen. So you got to focus all you can on making sure that you do something right. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's crazy. Sure. I mean, we've all have stories like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yours might be a little more intense with having like a solo guy and like, yeah, an it's, it's, away from I your think plane. that added to it too. Yeah. Just like you, you knew I was like responsible for this solo suit. He's just sitting there watching me. He has no idea what altitude he's at. You <laughs> he's know? like, what the heck? <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> I quit. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. What's your good story? Um, so, I mean, I have a, a lot of awesome 
Yeah, just aviation yes. stories in general. I mean, not about <laughs> my personal forms, just like things I look back and it's like, wow, that was really cool. Yeah. Um, one from training. I got one from training and then a really cool one from the, uh, from my last deployment as well. Uh, we did, we got to do a solo formation out and back in, uh, pilot training. And I got to fly from Del Rio to just to San Antonio. It was just three hour drive. It's only like a less than a 40 minute flight. Right. If you want it to be, if you just go straight there. But I was like, I was a solo student. Yeah. Got to land at a foreign field. Um, like shut down, walk into the back into base ops, play in the return flight, and then hop back in, start up again, solo again, yeah. and go home. Uh, and it it helped too that I flew very well. Like part of formation just like clicked for me that yeah. day, and I like had a good flight. <laughs> uh, got to land somewhere completely uh, new, like all by myself. Yeah. So that was a pretty cool experience. That and, is cool. Uh, something that I will definitely not forget just being solo in general is yeah. a lot of fun. It's especially not having done it now for a little bit. Um, going from a crew of 21 people to yeah. think back of you flew by yourself. It is a lot of personalities on an airplane. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a, it's a challenge, but being solo would is also just a, yeah. a really good time. Um, another one was we in the AWACS on this last appointment, we just pretty long flights. Like most, 12, 13 hour flights usually, which Dang. are, yeah, they're a long time making it boring, but I love the ones at night because the stars would just be so clear yeah. uh, and no clouds. The stars would be so clear. And then you could see the sunrise in the morning. Saw one of the coolest skies I've ever seen in my entire life. That's cool. Uh, and those are the kind of moments you think like, wow, not very, very few people ever get the yep. chance to do stuff like this. And that was, we were, we were moving slow, not a fast jet or anything, but like <laughs> that is something that will, yeah, Again, I, cool. I won't forget that it's, it's just not a lot of people get yeah. to see. Yeah, there's no comparison to you flying like on your deployment, but when I used to fly single pilot freight, it was the same thing. Like it'd be long days, long hours. Sometimes I'd see the sunset and the sunrise. It's like yeah. when you see the sunrise, it's like the most beautiful sunrise ever. And you just sit there like, man, this is worth it. This is yeah. pretty cool. But it's yeah. like, and then you land, you're like, dude, I was just up for 24 hours. Like this just <laughs> sucks. <laughs> but it's yeah. like some of those moments, it's amazing. Like things can be going really bad in your life and anything. And you just, all of a sudden you see this amazing sunset or you see these mountains, or you get to do this really cool approach. And you're like, ah, that's really cool. Like it can change your, your outlook and just so fast in a day or whatever, you know, it's just like such a crazy experience to have with flying. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah. I wanted to go back a little bit, explain a little bit about, um, formation flying because you said that you were responsible for the solo guy. What all like, how does that, how does formation flying work when you said kind of mentioned that he didn't know kind of what altitude he was at or something like that? Yeah. So, um, I'm sure a, uh, fighter pilot with a little more experience can give you a <laughs> nope. much better description. You're all I got. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I will definitely try to do my best. So yeah, as the lead aircraft in a formation, you are responsible for like he is, he's listening to the radios, but he never talks on the radios. He is just looking at you. And depending on how close he is, like there's different sets for us. You need to be in tack form, which are a mile apart from each other, where then you're you definitely are not staring at the airplane. The right. time. But you're, if you're in fingertip, uh, you're three feet from the other aircraft. That's crazy. So you are dead locked on him. You're not looking at your instruments. You're not looking at, you maybe steal a glance at your fuel gauge. Like that was pretty much it. Um, so yeah, you are trusting that the lead aircraft is taking care of everything. Uh, and you can obviously hear him on the radio, but he is, it's on him to s stick to all the altitudes, go to where he's supposed to go and lead you. Like you should be able to look up and, oh, there's the runway and go ahead and land. So if you're flying on the wing or behind or whatever, you're technically just staring at the plane, the plane you're following the whole time, like glancing back and forth and like making sure you don't ever really look at your instruments or anything. Yeah. If, if, in fingertip. Yeah. Yeah. When you get there, then there's root, which is like, I can't remember what the definition fine, yeah. was, but like three, it was like three airplanes away or something. So then you got a little bit more super, so you're still pretty much on him. And then tack form was you were a mile away. Uh, so you're much more like, okay, you can take a glance at everything, make sure everything's good. Check what so your story, how close is it for the guy in solo? Like how close would he wait to you get on the ground before he's like, all right, this is a bad idea. And like take off and go like he wouldn't know till relatively low or. Do you uh, think oh, 
that's, I mean, that's, yeah. that's why it's so, that was why yeah. I was so unsafe, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I, especially as a student, like I, I have no idea. I know as I'm a student, I was so focused on just like staying in position. Yeah. So that, essentially in theory, if that guy just messed up, you would just keep following him down until you're like, wait a second. Yeah. 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 And I feel like you maybe there's, I'm sure there's some human instinct right. that is going to like make you realize this is a bad idea. Pull away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's why it was why obviously the instructor took it and was like, Hey, this isn't why hooked the ride and the whole nine yards because it was putting both of us in a unsafe danger spot. Yeah. Was, uh, so when I think of military training, I always think of like people yelling all the time. Was that kind of your experience or was it like relatively chill? Uh, it was chill in terms. Chill is not a good term. No one was not a lot of yelling necessarily. Um, and as the program progressed, you were treated more and more as a, because you just gain more experience, but in the beginning you are treated like a child. Oh really? Because in that was a frustrating part of it for me. It was like, I've been, been tell been being told all through the air force. Oh, once you get to the, or all through ROTC, once you get to the real air force, I was like, I thought I was in the <laughs> real air force. Now I'm being treated the same way. Yeah. Um, the and this, the second phase of training, uh, was we were treated a lot more like adults. Um, but then more is expected of you. So it's, I think that's how it was. Rarely did we, we had a few like disappointed dad talks more than like someone yelling. Um, and I couldn't tell you what those were about now, yeah. but <laughs> they, uh, I, I remember more of that than yeah. necessarily yelling, but definitely a lot is expected of you. And, uh, you were told when you were wrong for sure. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I just always imagine like full metal jacket or something like that. Like no, the, not really. It was really so none, far. Of that. none of that. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. What, um, so how long were you gone for your deployment? Uh, I was gone for six months. So from, uh, March to August. It's crazy. Did, um, obviously you said that, I mean, you expect it to be kind of exciting and everything like that, but what was kind of the, the typical day for you when you're flying? Cause I know there's also kind of other stuff you have to do when you're not flying, but say like, you have a mission the next day. Like obviously you said you fly for 12 hours or 14 hours, but like when do you usually wake up? I don't know if it's like a standard time, but like yeah. what, what did that look like? So we, the times were constantly changing and that was one of the hardest things to adjust because with a 13 hour flight, like it, it doesn't give a lot of wiggle room to adjust your sleep schedule to it for later. So, um, a, some crews definitely got yanked around a lot with the schedule changes. Right. Um, I had a secondary job besides flying, like you mentioned, so I could really pick and choose which flights I wanted to be on, which definitely helped. So I didn't so feel that effect yeah. of that as much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the the show times ranged. They, I think they went the whole way around the clock. So the, some flights were showing up at like 2.30 in the morning uh, and you'd show and then two hours later is your takeoff. So you'd okay. show two hours before a scheduled takeoff. And then some during some point of the deployments, uh, crews were showing at like nine at night to fly a whole night sortie. So it really all just depend on what what was needed. Uh, yeah, and that was pretty much based on like the radar picture. That how many provide. how many E threes do you guys have on base? How many did you have like there to fly at your disposal? And we had five there. We like plussed up like halfway through from uh, three to five. Okay. Yeah. Well, my main, what I was trying to get at is like maintenance issues come up quite a bit oh, and when you have yeah. limited aircraft and when you don't have, it's not like they're still making those planes. It's not like you have like with the plane I fly, our company has 120 of them. So if one breaks or one has an issue, they just fly another one in. It's not like you can just fly another one yeah. in all the time. So how did maintenance play a part in your deployment and Kind of just like how did it affect oh, your flights? They're huge, and they they work twenty four seven. They are working around the clock, uh, working on those jets. We we had a few bouts where we we were flying most of the time. We were flying two uh, sorties a day, mm-hmm. and we had a couple weeks where we had to uh, go could just cut down. We had to tell the higher ups, "Hey, we can only fly one a day because maintenance needs time with these airplanes." Uh, and that actually worked really well. Just it was super good. It was good. Gave the crews a rest and yeah. yeah, gave maintenance a chance to like really fix things yeah. up. You come back to base uh, after landing, be like, Hey man, like that plane's still doing, I think you should uh, spend more time in maintenance. It's like, we're only gonna do one today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, it, a lot of the times it was because it's, it's tough, especially in the, when they don't have a depot, like they can't ground test everything, you know? So sometimes mm-hmm. they think they fix it. And it's like, well, we just got to wait till the next flight to see yeah. if it, 
actually About their works. best feeling in the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, with an old airplane, it's something I think I've become very numb to. Yeah. Like, you know, the things are like this, a hard no. Yeah. Uh, and then other things. And it, so I'm just a cope. I, I shouldn't say just a co-pilot, but I am a, a co-pilot. So right. the AC has like the uh, final, final say on like what is, yes, we will take this jet or not. Is there uh, obviously in the military, sometimes mission can outweigh maintenance so like was there ever any is there like ever an issue where like if the plane was a hard no and it put all the lives in danger is the mission worth more than the the plane and the people on board sometimes yeah there i mean there is could always be that scenario yeah i I don't think we ever ran into that yeah uh on this past deployment yeah um I don't think we're in just like not, a, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they we're, didn't tell you. <laughs> we're not in a world situation yeah. where like that would yeah. be a factor right now. Um, but for sure, that is that is written into the regs. It's mm-hmm. like yes, the mission at some point will come first, right? Uh, and then that's up to that's up to the AC to still. It's still eventually the AC's call. Okay. Um, so you could still ground the plane if you had. Yeah, yeah, and it's always going to be the AC's call. Now, how much? backlash they get from that decision will be based on right. what mission they were going to go fly. Yeah. So right now there no there would be no no backlash. No backlash. Yeah. The squadron commander would have their back 100%. That's good. And I can't even really think of anything like like right off the top of my head that would warrant yeah. us like taking aircraft knowing that like this is a not a good move. What um so obviously you're saying you're flying for 12 hours. I know that plane cannot fly for 12 hours of fuel. You guys had to refuel quite a bit. Yes. Yeah, so uh, we had two uh, air refuelings every sortie, which was, I mean, great training for us. I love that was the best. That was the best part of being deployed. Um, was air refueling? Yeah, it, it's the most fun part of flying. Uh, and it was it just like breaks up the monotony of a long flight. And we don't get to see enough of it in the States like home home station. So to see two every sortie is just like, you'll see, I think that they have a stat that a co-pilot will get more AR training in a four month deployment than he will in a year or That's he or she crazy. will get in a year of being at home station. Yeah. Um, so in my, in my AR went was like night and day from when I showed up to when I left and it was, that was a talk about another good feeling. My last sortie, uh, out there, I took the whole onload, not in one plug, unfortunately, but took the whole onload of gas for uh, the AR that I got to do. And that was from not even being able to touch the boom the first flight I was out there. That was that was awesome. Yeah. What do you say, take those? So it's it's very common for the the boom to kind of separate and kind of redo it over and over again. Or once the boom's in, does it stay in for the whole refueling? Uh, I mean, that depends on how good you are. Yeah. <laughs> what, like what, what's typical? Like obviously what's expected and what they want is different than what can actually happen. Okay. So like as you went on, you kept getting better. And the first time you couldn't even get it, which yeah. I couldn't either. There's no way. Or in between the last time, you're just like, it's all, you get all the fuel, nothing. It never disconnects like turbulence awake, no matter what. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it all, it all depends like really, uh, accomplished and like pretty skilled guys who are pretty veteran at it. They'll easily do it. One plot. They'll like the ACI flew with, uh, at the end of the deployment, he would take 105 K and never break off the fall off the boom, (laughs) which is just wild. So it's just like close to 20 minutes connected to another airplane without ever falling off. And you said flying behind that aircraft is difficult, right? You said it was all kind of backwards and how you're flying. Yeah, you, uh, and that is just with our airplane specifically, just because how long our wings are with the KC-135 refueler, I guess for, with both actually the KC-10 and the 135, the, 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 uh, wake mm-hmm. off their wings makes all the control inputs backwards. Uh, so learning, like l- just learning this and even the concept of it is really mind blowing. <laughs> uh, so if you wanted to go, and I have to like hold my hands up here to like <laughs> picture it. But if you were, if you were to the left of the boom and wanted to move back to the center, you'd actually have to make control inputs into the left. That's crazy. To like in the, the, the wake will just, push you back to the middle really. So if you can nail it, like the really good guys are barely moving anything because yeah. the weight can just hold them there and they can get the power just right and they can just trim it out. And 
I, I mean, I really hate when people go like, oh, you can just trim it a hands off light because I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> but honestly, some of these guys are so close yeah, to doing it. That's crazy. Um, I mean, I'm sweating by the end of mine. Yeah. But, uh, like, can we put the autopilot back on? Like, <laughs> I'm good. Let's go. Can we land? <laughs> yeah, but it, it is the most exciting, the most challenging, but the most exciting part of yeah. the E3 for sure. That's crazy. Uh, can I know. Is it pretty turbulent getting into position? Because obviously there's a pretty good weight coming off there. Yeah, there. I mean, it's it's not bad. Is you, you're it's really it just funnels you in, and then you're about. It's called pre-contact when you're like fifty feet away. You like stabilize there, and then get cleared by the boom to come in. And then there's the bow wave, which uh, is just like pushing through that last little bit of wake, and yet that that can kind of get to you a little bit. Um, but you just carry a little extra power and then you're there. Yeah. And you just get there. What it's did a, you teach me how to do it? I feel like I can yeah. do this on my own. I'm going to the right, turn right to go left. <laughs> it's like, all right, makes sense. <laughs> That's cool. So how many more years do you have in the military? Uh, I have about eight and a half. Okay. And you've done one deployment already. How many deployments yeah. do you, is there like a typical amount? Like do they try to do one, one every year, one every two years or is it um, random? In... It all depends in that for like my squadron will deploy probably again. It's about once a year. It, okay. It's a little messed up right now because we had that influx of people when we were out there. Um, but it, the s- normal system is you go, you deploy every like year and a half. Um, the squadron does. So not necessarily everyone in the squadron goes. Um, I am hoping to be in AC upgrade next summer, uh, which is, I don't know if that's an ambitious goal or not, but it's something I'm shooting for. Uh, just like a personal note. Um, and that will probably when we leave again. So you'll be in training. Then uh, yeah, hopefully I'll be in training and not have to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. No, for sure. I hope so too. Uh, yeah. So I guess that leads me to my next kind of questions is the, your kind of goals and your aspirations with flying, like kind of what does, what's the end goal of being an aviator in the military? Like what's like the top of the top where you're still flying versus when you go to office work and you're kind of like a, a commander or whatever. I don't know the ranking, so I might screw it up, but yeah. you kind of know what I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it, it really, I think is individually based. So a lot of people want to fly and just get and promote as fast as possible so they can have that command position. Uh, in most in most command positions, you're not are fly, you're not flying as much. Um, and as you promote, you are getting more and more extra responsibilities uh, outside of flying, um, which is bad, right? It, yeah, <laughs> to some it, people, depending yeah. on how you're talking about, like yeah. myself, yeah, I'm I'm trying to fly as yeah. much as possible. Like that's what I signed up to do. Right. Um, some people, it's just a way of like flying. It's really like, yeah, we'll just I'll fly, but I really I want to I want to be more in leadership positions, right. which is fine. Right. Uh, yeah. Teach his own, right? Yeah. Whatever you want it's, to do. It's, it's all what you want. Yeah. yeah. But so what's your goal? Me personally, I, I want to try as fly as much as okay. possible. So um, you would sacrifice, say like, if they're like, Hey man, we need you to like go to the Pentagon or I don't like, I have no idea about military yeah. stature. So like, don't judge me on that. But like if, if they send you somewhere very high up, would you take that to leave flying? No, no, definitely okay. not. I, I want to try to fly. I want to stay in a flying role as much as possible. Um, and it, a lot depends on my personal life as well. But like, I would be very, I would be fine if my military career consisted of like promoting uh, to instructor, like AC instructor evaluator within the AWACS, yeah. uh, just becoming very good at my craft um, and sort of being that instructor evaluator pilot that like everyone wants to fly with very knowledgeable, <laughs> yeah. uh, still chill enough, uh, but like takes his job seriously, knows other parts of the jet. Uh, I think it's very telling when, because the crew is so big and real, like I have a very limited knowledge, close to none of what is happening in the back. And that can be the same for the back to the front end. Uh, but when you fly with these guys who know what's happening in the back end and what they need to get done, because that is ultimately that it's their, they're running the AWACS mission back there. Uh, that is that's just pretty got cool. There. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's pretty cool to see when you fly with an instructor or an evaluator who you can just tell knows what the rest of the crew needs, and the rest of the crew looks at them and they just like let him do his thing because they know he's gonna yeah. do the right thing. Does the radar require you guys to be straight and level a lot? Like, do you want wings level pretty much most of the time, unless you're in a turn or anything? Is or does that not? So really we fly either? in a it. <sighs> We fly in an orbit, so we're turning sometimes. Um, but we, we try to get straight and level. The turn doesn't really matter as much. 
we try to fly straight level for most of it just to for fuel conservation. Uh, so like when we're stuck, we had to fly in some pretty small airspace. So we're stuck in a constant turn. Um, and that's just like kills your fuel burn. Um, the more yeah. you have to refuel, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is your favorite part. So it's yeah, not a problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's one yeah. way to look Isaac's at always it. turning like, no, we need to be straight. Low. I'm like, no, no turn. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's one way. To yeah. Look at it. Oh, cool, man. Uh, I have a quick, a little rapid fire section for you. I'm just going to ask you a bunch of random aviation themed questions and you just kind of say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. You ready for it? Yeah, I think All so. All right. Well, it might be pretty easy. I don't know. We'll find out. What's your favorite airplane you've ever flown? Uh, the T-38. Do you have a least favorite airplane you've ever flown? Uh, I do not. Yeah. That would be, that'd be me. I've only flown <laughs> four airplanes. So. Yeah. There you go. Well, let's see. Do you have like, what's your dream airplane that you could ever fly? Uh, I would love to fly a seaplane. Okay. Like land on the water. I think that like be up in Alaska really just like awesome. fly and or yeah. Or like the Bahamas, yeah. like just then roll right up to my like <laughs> little hut on the water. That's hilarious. <laughs> go surf, go fly. Yeah. That'd be pretty sweet. Do you have uh, an ugliest airplane you've ever seen? Uh, I don't know what it was called, but it was this like cargo plane with like a hump on it. Um, huh. It, it was it wasn't American. It was while I saw it oh, while deployed. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> and yeah, it was. And I mean, I don't know if this is offensive or not, but it like looked Russian. Like it just looked <laughs> no, like something. There a Russian is something. <laughs> no, there is. You know when a plane is Russian or not? It's like, oh yeah, that was built by the Russians. Yeah. You can watch them take off, and when they take off, using all the runway and then some. You know, it's still Russian too. But yeah, it's definitely a Russian thing. So no, it's not offensive. I don't think at all. We'll get some hate from Russia for that. But <laughs> what is uh, all right? So what's your favorite airline to fly on? Uh, Southwest. What's your? Do you have a least favorite airline to fly on? Uh, I don't actually know if I do. You only fly Southwest. <laughs> yeah, I only fly Southwest, <laughs> and I really love it. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite airline livery or a paint job? Uh, what do Southwest, you mean? Uh, paint scheme of a plane. Do you have a favorite? Oh, I like actually like Frontiers. Airline. Okay, I like the, the how animals. they do the animals on the tail coming from the the <laughs> the one job one time of wanting to be a vet. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, do you have a your least favorite airline paint job? Uh, some people say Southwest. Some people say <laughs> United. It's just too boring. If you don't, you don't have to have one. Yeah, no, I don't. I can't really say I yeah. do have one. All right. Of those. Well, let's see. You're connecting on a on a Southwest flight, and you're in the airport, and you have like 30 minutes, or what? Southwest have quick turns, so you have like 25 minutes. Yeah. So you need to go get some food. What's your go-to airport food? Oh. I regret it every time, but Chinese food. <laughs> Someone said sushi one time. I was like, who's getting airport sushi? So, I mean, Chinese food, sushi. I, mine's always Chick-fil-A. Everyone's yeah, tired of me saying I was, that. I was thinking maybe Chick-fil-A too. <laughs> always Chick-fil-A. Uh, let's see. What's your favorite airport you've ever landed at? Uh, I landed in Waco, Texas in okay. pilot training. And there's like a lake right by it. And the FBO was just like so nice and clean uh, <laughs> that that was probably my favorite. Are you, do you think you're the only person in the world to say that their favorite place to land is Waco, Texas? Or? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, yeah. there, we used to be able it's to do all, all these uh, uh, cross countries and stuff to Chenault, yeah. which I don't know if you've been there. No it's in like Southern Louisiana. Okay. And you can order over the radio like a po' boy oh, for a dollar and yeah. it's like waiting for you when you land but and i planned a flight there probably three or four times yeah. uh and it got like weather canceled every time no <laughs> <laughs> yeah i landed in so i'm stuck with waco i landed near mont i think it was montgomery maybe and they have um they had pizzas they make pizzas for all the military pilots and they call in and order pizzas and it's the same thing it's like a dollar or two dollars and yeah. they'll, have the, they'll have a pizza waiting for them when they're ready to go it's like a little small like pan pizza or anything nothing special but that might be someone's favorite too um let's see what is did i say what's your least favorite airport you've ever flown into least favorite like maybe it's the one where you just have a bad uh, memory attached to it or you just didn't have a good approach or you just don't like it yeah uh I mean, Roswell is very just unexciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's not much around our Roswell other than yeah. that with the Widowmaker. Yeah. The Widowmaker. I flew my check ride there. I uh, actually flew the Widowmaker on my check ride, just like <laughs> serendipitously. Yeah. Uh, How'd that go? Obviously it went all right. It was, uh, yeah, I passed, which yeah. is good. The instructor th 
flew threw me a few bones yeah. for sure. But I lived. Yeah. <laughs> Not everyone can say that. Yeah, it's a good story, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, Roswell didn't have a lot going for it. I was surprised. I went to Roswell when I did aerial survey. I thought it was gonna be like this really cool, like UFO, like <laughs> kind of just like really like weird, quirky town. And it was just a retirement place that smelled like manure, and it was just like there's nothing there whatsoever. Yeah, maybe I had a different experience, but yeah, it was it was weird. But uh, let's see, let's see. Um, do you like longer flights or shorter flights? Uh, I I miss the shorter flights right yeah. now. After flying those thirteen, 13 hour hours, ones, the one hour one point ones were pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> really looking forward to those. <laughs> but I mean, the the longer flights are nice because like you can get up, go to the bathroom, you know, like move around, which. Uh, can't do on a what kind of food would you eat in that kind of time? Do you like bring your own food or do they have like some like a flight attendant uh, to make your food? No, <laughs> I mean, we have flight, obviously there's not a flight, flight attendant, but you know the, what I mean. The nav was yeah. the flight attendant. <laughs> no, we, yeah. they would pack us food and they would we cook like chicken tender. We had a little oven, so chicken tenders, yeah. uh, like pan, pe- uh, like tortilla pizzas, you're eating good. cookies. Yeah, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> there was awesome. there was an art to oh, yeah. AWACS cooking for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, cool, man. Those are pretty much all the ones that I can think of right now. My last question for you is you've almost survived the podcast. So you have one more question. It is someone's coming up to you. They are going to Cornell. They are an ROTC. They want to be a pilot. What are maybe they're not on ROTC yet. They just want to be a pilot. They're thinking about military. What are maybe three, five, I don't know, however many tips or just like keys for success that you can think of to tell them to position themselves to become a pilot or to, to be the best military pilot they can be. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you sort of clarified the end, but I would for sure, I really, I would recommend the military route um, because I think it is a good, I don't know that much about civilian. I would encourage them to talk to someone like you or uh, other people you have in podcast to learn the civilian route as well. The um, military definitely isn't for everybody. No. um, But it is an option that you can get to where you want to be pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so I would tell them, uh, check out the Rossi detachment, look into figure out if the military one is something you do want to do, regardless of how you feel about flight. Um, if that is something you have decided on, I would, uh, yeah, I would recommend RTC. Definitely. If it's a little too late for that OTS to compete, I don't know what makes you competitive for OTS because I went the RTC route, but um, in Rati, I would say study for those tests you have to, the paper tests you have to take. Uh, be active in the unit because your commander score is involved in that selection uh, point as well. And then I would say, like, uh, it, once they get through, which I'm sure they would with all this sound advice to, to pilot <laughs> training, uh, I would say just work hard. Remember that you are. Uh, doing something that a lot of people want to do and never get the chance to. Uh, so even when it looks tough and you're having to work hard and you're like, Oh, I don't know if I can do this. Just remember like you, you got here. So you, they wouldn't have took taken you if you, they didn't think you could. Right. Um, so yeah, just keep your head up, work hard and then enjoy like the little moments. Enjoy the night sky. Right. Enjoy that. Uh, first feel of like real power, you know, <laughs> of the diamond. Yeah. No. Yeah. The T six or lot, whatever, yeah. of whatever cool airplane you yeah. fly next, you know? So that's uh, cool. Yeah. Keep your mind open and stay positive. I think would be my, <laughs> Sounds my good. biggest piece good. of advice. Well, cool, man. Well, Isaac, I appreciate you coming on. It was a lot of fun talking with you and having you on the podcast. Uh, thank you for your service. And it's the military side is just something I have no idea about. So it's really cool to talk to you about that and kind of understand how the process is and what you guys go through and just what the lifestyle is like. So I appreciate it, man. Yeah, it was great. I was a little, I told you before I was a little nervous to come on, but uh, (laughs) yeah, I hope everyone got uh, something out of it. Hopefully I could uh, reach a couple listeners, but yeah, I had a great time and I appreciate you inviting me on for sure, man. No problem. I appreciate it. Thanks. And that is a wrap of episode number 79 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Aviation, thanks for taking the time out of your day to listen to this episode. Isaac is a good friend of mine. His wife and my wife both go to med school together. If you ever see on my Instagram when I post a picture with a girl with a pumpkin over her face, that is Emily. So shout out to Emily. I know that she really does secretly love it. But Aviation, thank you. Like I said earlier, leave a review. Share this with your friends, especially the interest in the military. Isaac does a great job of explaining the ins and the outs of military life and training and deployment and just flying AWACS. So I enjoyed it. I enjoyed talking with them. And as always, happy flying.